Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business and politics and culture. I'm your host, Donya Keating, live from the Seattle area at 2.30 p.m. Pacific Time on August 21st. Uh, listeners, if you're up for some on-air participation, just dial 646-378-0261 and make sure you push 1 on your keypad. So if you uh, want to speak, we know you're out there. Uh, there's also a chat feature for your questions and comments, so go ahead and shoot them to us. And today, uh, as some of you know, we, we've had... Um, a bit of activity here, and it, it kind of came to a head yesterday with some national headlines and helicopters overhead and tree sits uh, related to uh, several Bainbridge Island residents that are opposing a controversial shopping development that's planned at High School Road and Highway 305. Protesters are against cutting the 800 trees that were necessary to build, and uh, over time there's been boycott pledge, pledges, some candlelight vigils, demonstrations, and like I said earlier, a Bainbridge High School graduate grabbed national headlines by sitting on a platform in an evergreen tree in protest. Uh, the developer is Ohio-based, uh, called Visconti, I believe, and it received approval to begin clear-cutting the land earlier this month, um, which marks the first step towards constructing a 62,000-square-foot shopping center um, slated to include a Bartel Drugs, uh, some restaurants, a key bank branch, and some professional services and healthcare facilities. Um, so looking at this and, you know, the pros and cons and what the issues are, there are some opponents that claim, you know, Bainbridge has enough shopping and the uh, rural character of the islands being overrun by corporate interests that threaten long-term local businesses. Uh, supporters, of course, say that private, private property owners have uh, the right to do what they please with their land within reason once they've complied with the legal process. And, uh, you know, there are others that say that more businesses drive competition and uh, more options and lower prices. Um, so yesterday, the process of cutting the trees now began, but uh, the debate continues. And today, uh, we're going to have a discussion about the pros and cons of development, but more importantly, what happens now. So um, again, listeners, if you're up for on-air participation, that number is 646 378 0261, and you can press 1 on your keyboard when you want to speak so we know to get to you. Uh, there's also a chat somewhere again, like I said, so that you can send us some questions and comments. And one more time, that number is 646-378-0261. And then you can press 1 on your keyboard when we know you want to speak. Otherwise, you're just somebody out there listening. Uh, I think the first... Uh, series of questions and thoughts that I had about this when uh, we first started getting involved in it way back and it started reaching a peak is, 
you know, trying to get your thoughts about clear-cutting, uh, new development, you know, which development is acceptable and, you know, ways to work proactively with new businesses and concepts or ideas. So if they're coming here anyway, you know, there's an opportunity for input and shaping it, and that becomes uh, more likely or better received. Um, I, I think that... Uh, We've heard some different comments when we when we first initially announced that we were going to do the show, and you know some of the comments were, well, you know the uh, the platform that she's using, the high schooler that was protesting, what was that? What was that made of? Well, it was made of wood, and so um, obviously there are some uses for wood in our society, and there are some um, instances where trees are cut, namely for every single person living on Bainbridge Island. I mean, there is someone here everyone here that has a development or a home um, that has uh, been created because, you know, trees were cut to create that uh, clearing and also for the materials to build a home. Now, the counterpoint for that, and I've heard that as well, is, well, you know, you're talking about housing. Housing is a necessity. You know, some of these corporate complexes are not necessary, or at least in our opinion. And, you know, there's an argument for that. But, of course, one more counter-argument is, well, what type of house do you need? And uh, do you need a large home? Uh, And a lot of the people that are out there protesting and putting their hands on the trees and meditating and lighting candles, I mean, they have some pretty large homes. And uh, they're out there uh, in the woods where they've cleared a path so that they can get some sunlight or they've cleared trees so that they can have views. Uh, so uh, there's a, just a little bit of, uh, uh, I guess some people call it hypocrisy. Some people call it contradiction. Um, and I know we have a, a, one of our own situations here, uh, you know, individually, where we have someone that we know where, you know, they found out that someone was going to build in a vacant lot that was kind of uh, obstructing their view, and they ran out there and purchased that property and made sure that, you know, it was properly pruned and that there were no trees um, that would grow tall enough to obstruct that view. And so now they've got a clear view through their property out to the water. Um, but on another property that they own where there is a house that is obstructing the views of, you know, many other of their neighbors, you know, they've, you know, countered, you know, well, we don't want to get rid of the trees and um yeah, we, we, we think that trees are important. And so you, you sort of have to chuckle to yourself and say, well, trees are important, uh, unless they're blo- blocking your view. But, you know, I don't want to keep going on about that. I see that there's somebody out here, so I will just uh, check and see who's out there. Hello, who am I speaking with? This is Charles. Hi, Charles. I'm uh, so what ki- You are on the line, and welcome. Uh, what kind of things do you want to talk about regarding the um, – clear-cutting and the new development and and what's going on out there with Wisconsin. Well, the first, the first thing is clear-cutting is just one aspect of it. And, you know, I think trees are beautiful and trees are absolutely necessary as well as a beautiful environment. But I think the, the problem that always gets lost to me seems to be the idea that there can be balanced and smart development. And um, I think too often the argument becomes we got to prevent any development. And the moment we start allowing some people in, then there's going to be this tidal flood of, of development, and it's just going to be willy-nilly. And the whole point of having uh, buildings and plans uh, is to kind of manage development in a smart way. And I don't think we've, we've struck the right balance is the way I look at it. 
So, you know, you brought up something that I thought was pretty interesting there. I mean, there are people out there that believe, hey, you know, we've got to make sure that anyone that's coming into this area understands that they are not going to get uh, an easy or a smooth transition um, or process if they think they're going to come in here and develop our area and, and, and turn it into a concrete jungle. We're going to protest every single thing that comes through so that they're aware of that because apparently they believe there's a slippery slope. And if they don't uh, protest it, then, you know, someone will get something by them. But you raised a, a good point about, you know, an intelligent way to um, get involved in the process. And, and what would you propose? Are you talking about um, the comprehensive plan? or what, what, do you, what do you think are some ways that we can be more proactive in the way that we address some of these uh, new ideas or businesses that are coming through? Well, I think if you announce, here are the guidelines of what we want to try to accomplish, and you make sure that those guidelines are clear um, so that developers can know what conforms and doesn't conform, uh, and you don't try to shift the rules to accommodate every group that wants to get up there and scream about something. Um, I think the thing is, uh, that's part one, and I think part two is, Bainbridge actually has to look at being more welcoming of development because when you become too anti-development, you realize that you're actually impinging upon people's personal property rights as well. In other words, yeah, I don't want any development, but that means then I can tell my neighbor, you know, who has five acres of property that he can never do anything with his land and let me tell him what to do with his land. You can't do that. So it's an unrealistic expectation, but people think that they can do that to a certain extent, and I think there has to be some balance. There has to be some balance. You're right. We don't, we're not going to have a coal mine plant next door. But on the other hand, <laughs> can you have 20 homes? You know, that's, that's really the question I think that comes into place. Yeah, and I think you brought something up because I've seen some conversation on the Bainbridge Islanders um, uh, Facebook group, and I've also seen some things online uh, underneath articles that have been written with, I, I think it's inside Bainbridge and other places. And and, the, and that counter-argument has been, well, you don't have a um, unmitigated right. I mean, obviously there are limitations on everything. You cannot have a slaughterhouse. You cannot have a chop shop. You cannot, you know, so there are things you cannot build within X amount of feet to a, a shoreline because of rules that we have or laws that we have. So, yes, there is going to be some of that, um, with respect to uh, what you can get away with and what you can do, and and finding ways to work together so that the response isn't always to jump straight into a lawsuit or to jump jump straight into a protest and to assume the worst um, and to to make arguments about um, you know the evil corporations or whatever it is without really understanding or at least trying to work with um, you know some of the people that are coming in and and make something uh, a little bit. Uh, more user-friendly or neighborhood-friendly. So and I would actually go is, yeah. further. I would actually go, go further on. is a certain amount of development is absolutely necessary for a healthy economy to create new opportunities, um, to create – there's got to be change in the system. If you try to create a static system, you're actually creating a dying system. I think people that think this is the most beautiful place, don't ever change it, think that by trying to create statism – that that's the way to preserve it. You cannot preserve in that way, not, not with an economic development, not with people, not with people having children looking for opportunities. I see a lot of uh, conversation out there about who's been here, how long, and, and you know, I've been here for so-and-so um, 
you know, generations. And, oh, I've been here for 40 years, and I've been here for 20, and, you know, oh, the Californians have come in and ruined it, and we don't want to be Bellevue. And there's going to always be some of that with a certain community. Um, but, you know, the reality is that before any of us got here, it belonged to the Native Americans. And, you know, somebody made a comment about, you know, well, this is what America's about, and how do you think America started? And I really wanted to jump in there and say, it started by you coming in and taking somebody's land. That's how it started. I mean, yes, you were you were fighting Great Britain or fighting fighting England, and you were establishing yourselves. But let's not let's not kid ourselves. You came here and took something from someone else, so that's not necessarily a 100% viable argument. Um, but the other part of it is you did bring up um, the idea of economic diversity and competition, um, and how it builds stronger and more sustainable economies. Um, and we can't really be insular here with a buy only local philosophy because it's not really realistic and not how life works. Um, the cost of goods is heavily influenced by volume. Um, it's kind of the, the economic buy and demand or supply and demand. And this is in, you know, it's something that influences that. And just think about what Bainbridge Island won last year. It was the top e-city award from Google um, as the number one city in the state for local e-commerce and fueling their respective regional economies, these winners. Now, those purchases that are coming in, um, are from the local economy, but they're also from tourists and residents and worldwide customers, which are necessary to keep businesses going. So imagine if, you know, something like a bonbon, which everybody loves, imagine if they didn't have that outside business. Um, how would they sustain themselves? Would they be thriving? So it's it's really not a, a necessarily legitimate argument to say that this is just a bi-local economy and that any outside business is is ne- is naturally going to, to damage or, or ruin that. The, the, um, the truth of the matter is Bainbridge couldn't exist without the regional market. It absolutely, essentially, it requires the presence of Seattle because so many people work in Seattle, and their incomes is what makes life on Bainbridge possible. And not everybody's going to work in that exact same model, but they have to recognize that this, again, is not a static system, and it is not isolated. They have to realize that we're part of this regional economy, and the larger circle is the economy's changing around, transitioning around technology. There's a huge technology economy brewing up in the Puget Sound region, and, and Bainbridge Island is right next to that core. And our economic development professionals realize that we have to become a lot more tech-savvy, tech-friendly, and welcoming to technology-based businesses, whether they are small mom-and-pops or small organizations or subsets of larger organizations, wanting to potentially locate here because that is going to create vibrancy in this economy as well and sustainability. Just like there's environmental sustainability, there's economic sustainability, and I argue that that has to be considered as well. I just got a uh, chat comment or a question from someone that said, would there be resistance if it was a green-slash-eco development with lead standards and organic farm-to-table restaurants that were included in that development. And, you know, that's obviously one of the things that I've heard before. And it reminds me of, you know, going way back, I know that some people don't want to hear about it, but it reminds me of that, oh, my God, I'm going to have a brain fart here. But it was the um, thing that the Port of Bremerton was trying to do. They were trying to do that whole green thing over there, their part. Seed. Kids kids have seed. Great, thanks. And, you know, immediately, just like now, there were the people that cropped up that, quote-unquote, the greenies that said, you know, 
this would be a great idea. We want to do this. We should do this. This is green business. This is the future, and, and certainly can't disagree with that. But then you had the other side that said, you know, we don't want to have to fund this, and if you want to be a sustainable business, then fund yourself. Stop taking the government funds or whatever. Um, and then the whole NASCAR thing came up, and then the entire situation just blew out of proportion with each side squaring off. And very few people even thought to just take, you know, the time to walk straight through those two positions and to find a way to bridge them so that there was some type of win-win. Um, you know, why not have it so that you build it to lead standards, the NASCAR, and you put it, uh, you know, where the cars that are able to race over time become the ones that aren't using fuel, and you start to, you know, grow organic produce and have restaurants there that are feeding that and you do turn it into some type of a showcase facility it was and because neither one of them were able to concede although i should say in all fairness the nascar people did try to come a little bit over to the other side but both of them ended up going away and so it's that whole zero-sum game mentality here of you know where there are no winners and everyone ends up losing well, they, they make it too difficult. They make the barrier too high. And eventually people say, you know what, I'm going to go someplace where I'm not going to have to fight so hard. So in, in answer to your question earlier, if you were in, integrating all sorts of E-type facilities into your, into your building plan, the answer is, yes, they still fight. And that's really unfortunate. They don't look at it like, let's try to work with people and realize they do have a right to development. They start from a place where they shouldn't develop at all. And I'm saying is that creates a poorer outcome than if you welcome the idea of development and tried to push for environmental and sustainable features. If you did that, you would get better quality development than what you're getting now. I think Viscani came here in its current format because of some of the contentious that they, they didn't have. There probably wasn't other options on the table. Now, in that ex aspect, I don't know exactly what were all the potential possibilities, but I've talked with other developers who have worked with Bainbridge Island and have worked with this region, and they say it is incredibly hard to get business done here sometimes, that we're very anti-business. And that's unfortunate because I think we have great opportunities here uh, to leverage not only our ecological and environmental environment where we understand that we have to preserve things, but also, you know, a technology economy, a tech-savvy uh, consumer workforce. There are some aspects here where if we put the pieces together, we can really make this a stellar showcase place. But we've got to start from the place that it's okay to move forward, that resistance and trying to preserve, you know, you know a completely rural uh, in feeling. Bainbridge Island is not going to be rural forever given its proximity and its location. It's not the same environment. I mean, we, we just took a trip out uh, west, um, and there's just incredible expenses of undeveloped land out there. And you know what? Those areas are so far away from the Puget Sound core that they're not going to develop over the next 10, 20, 30 years. So if somebody wants to feel like a rural you know, uh, uh, farmland feel for the next 50 years, Trust me, there's places out in Port Townsend and Port Angeles which are going to be just like that 50 years from now, probably never going to change in a long time. But on the other hand, right here, right in the Puget Sound region, I think trying to you know, create farmlands uh, right next door, I, I, while I laud some of those goals, I again start to say, you know what, looking at the bigger picture, maybe not the best use of our, our time or resources or energy. Maybe we need to start focusing those energies rather than just being no on saying something like, let's be smart. 
And, you know, I would say that uh, I'm certainly in the camp of the the people that don't want to lose some of the character here. And it's one of the reasons that many people pick up from all over the world and come here. So I understand that there will be some business, and I absolutely agree with some level of development. I'm not one of those, I guess they call them NIMBYs, not in my backyard, um, and saying that there's nothing that should happen here. But I definitely think that it should take place on a very intelligent, very engaged level with the community um, instead of the factionalization that sometimes happens. Um, you know, an interesting conversation a while ago. We participated in an economic development um, symposium here where we were invited. And I was having a conversation with a very lovely lady who was, um, you know, a senior, and she expressed, she was very sincere, and you have to listen to that, some sincere concern about, you know, how much has changed and how she doesn't want the area to change. And I looked at her and I said, well, it's not like you live in a tree. You don't live in a tree house. And she sort of stared at me blankly like I'm not getting your point. It's like, well, you say you want something to remain, but you've got yours. And so I think, you know, going back to that whole drawbridge mentality where we all say, well, I've got my business or I've got my home or I've got my development or I've got my condo or I've got my store or whatever it is that's here that we feel is sufficient and we don't want anything else. I mean, that's just not going to um, be sustainable. And I think the other thing that um, I've heard from some people is, um, you know, there are certain types of development that are okay. Um, there are certain stores that they're not going to patronize if they come in. Uh, and, you know, that's that's everybody's choice. Everybody has the right to do that. But that's not going to stop um, a city from thinking about, as, as Bainbridge Island is, what it should and shouldn't be doing in order to move its economy forward. Right, and I, and, I, and I go back to, you know, if you're going to sit on a platform in an evergreen tree to try to stop development, I think you're, you're misplacing your focus. I really think you would be better served to look at development, recognized by a starting point that there is going to be some development. In fact, it's absolutely necessary. You need to make it your friend that there is going to be some change and how to manage that change in a way that actually improves this area. It was only a year ago that Bainbridge was talking about closing down some of its schools and having to spend money to consolidate student populations and build up a school when one, you know, capacity in one school if another had to close. And so, you know, some of these changes are, are inevitable. You know, there's difficulty in trying to figure out what the right balance is. And I'm saying is, and yet a lot of people, you know, can't find uh, rental properties on the island. Um, you know, there's, there's just all sorts of, you know, kind of, um, the, the, apple, the apple cart's been upset. And people need, there need, there's obviously a need for more affordable housing. And I don't know what the exact way that would move forward. But I would certainly welcome, you know, more affordable housing development. Uh, more high density or higher density development near the Winslow Corridor where people can use commuting. I think Bainbridge Island, one of the things that's really cool about it is it's one of the few places in all of Kitsap that you can actually leverage public transportation in a way that makes sense. But that only works well when you have a lot of people going to and from the ferry or have convenient access to the downtown area. So, you know, I think, again, this all goes back to you need to be smart about development, and there is a way, I think, that will improve the total outcome and the protesters that just say, no, stop, don't do anything, you're harming the environment, 
don't realize you also harm the environment with, with your own actions when you do those kinds of things because there will be some development, but you're forcing it to change the nature of what that development's going to look like into something that's less environmental because they've spent their energy fighting you rather than looking at trying to find buy-in for a better style of project. And I think that gets lost. Well, you, you actually brought up something interesting, and I think that Visconti, if it was smart, it would certainly um, incorporate some type of green or lead-based housing into their development um, so that there is something more affordable for people here because there is a bubble that's happening right now. And we've been here for quite a while, and this is the first year um, that I recall looking around at uh, rental inventory and seeing exactly how low it is. And, you know, you've got owners that are really taking advantage of that by, you know, doubling and tripling their rental um, costs and fees and there are a lot of people that we're reading about in some of our, our uh, community forums where they can't find homes. And, you know, I understand market factors and how sometimes you have to make hay while it's available. But at some point, you know, it's, it's not going to be. I mean, someone may come in and pay you two or three times more than what it's worth. But at some point, point when the market goes back down, you're going to lose those people anyway. So it's kind of you, you have to balance, you know, the, the market um, and what you're able to command with, you know, being intelligent with your business strategies, including, you know, whether it's investment properties or whatever. Um, but you also brought up something about the um, the tree sitting. Uh, and that was, yes, there was a platform, and that platform was made of wood. So there was a little bit of irony there. Um, but there was another thing that came up with the um, person that decided to do this. And, you know, having the courage of her convictions and going out there and taking a stand as someone that's young, I mean, that's a good thing to do. Um, but then people started taking shots at her and saying, well, you know, you were in something last year, and you ended up on the news, and you didn't even know what you were standing up for. I mean, you were screaming, anarchy lives, and you didn't even know what the issue was. And so you know, there's a credibility uh, that comes with and should come with standing up for something you believe in. And, and, you know, you need to understand what you're fighting for so that you can articulate it so you can get something done. It's not just about getting up in a tree and getting on the news. And um, if I'm going to be against something, I would be against the whole idea of anarchy lives. That, again, gives uh, credence and tries to rise up that resistance is, is the goal. Resistance is not the goal. The goal is to find a better way, not just resisting, right. but looking at the better way forward. Anybody who thinks that I'm just going to stop you and I'm going to oppose you, I'm going to sue you into the, into the ground, obviously those things happen, and they've happened many, 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 many times. And that's part of what makes this uh, a contentious place. And I'm thinking is some of these people think, well, I've made the place better because I've stopped things. Well, yes and no. Sometimes, you know, no, I don't want this place overrun by, you know, McDonald's and Burger Kings, and somebody says, well, where do you draw the line? Well, you draw the line in, in looking at the, the whole community and saying, what's, what's going to be a benefit to a lot of people? Are you going to oppose uh, low-income housing? Um, you know, if, you know, and low-income is in quotes because we're not talking, you know, extreme poverty. We're talking about, you know, people with middle and upper middle class wages that may be priced out of this market. Um, those are you know, not necessarily bad goals to have. Uh, what about more uh, affordable, more, more, more jobs, more, a greater, more diverse eco economic base um, of industry? And I don't mean, again, large manufacturing, but, you know, 3D robotics manufacturing or, some, or, or people that want to benefit or leverage the tech force that's here. Those are things that I think we should be seeking out and applauding and trying to bring in here and instead of investing all of our energy in fighting and resisting, looking at, uh, looking at a, a better way forward. 
Yeah, and I thought about that. I'm going to wrap up really quickly here, but uh, somebody made a comment about they sent a text that, you know, there's extra office space and why do people need to go there uh, and build anything? And, and, you know, that's a valid, obviously, a valid comment. But, you know, when somebody's trying to build a development, they're not necessarily looking for one piece of, of, of real estate or one office or whatever. They're looking for something different, and they have the right to look for that. Um, so there's a way to um, have an intelligent economic development conversation with your leaders about how to fill spaces, but that's not you know, the complete answer. Uh, so it looks like uh, we're kind of running out of time. I didn't realize how, how this was running. Anyway, uh, thanks to all of you for tuning in and participating today. You can find this broadcast as a podcast at the site you're using right now, or you can go on our Facebook at backslash str 8 Talk Radio. While you're there, give us a like. Keep track of what we're doing. We'll see you next week at 3 p.m. to talk about cybersecurity, hacking, and privacy. And if you're free, head on over this afternoon to West Sound Technology Association and SMB Nation's Picnic. Check out westsoundtechnology.org for information. This is your host, Donya Keating, signing off at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on Thursday, August 21st.